conspiracy theories, facts, or fiction. Hello, my friends, David Bolton here. I welcome you to this informal, occasionally stream of consciousness tinged talk about a subject that just about all of us have an opinion about conspiracy theories. This podcast, prepared for my channel, The Path of Socrates, is going to delve into the topic of just what a conspiracy theory is and how much it is worth, or not worth. So let's begin. Now, I'm sure you've heard this term, conspiracy theory, uh, all too often. And what happens is it's used as an insult, right? Somebody says, I think that uh, the government's hiding evidence about the existence of UFOs, for example. And then the other guy says, uh, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. Oh, where's your tinfoil hat? That's ridiculous. You must be crazy. This is the wrong response. I repeat, this is the wrong response. It's an, how should I put it politely, an extremely unenlightened response. Uh, a bit more bluntly, it's a foolish response. Now about this word foolish, that I'm going to use very often in all of my podcasts, foolish or fool. I don't mean to use this in an insulting manner. <laughs> now that might sound funny to you because if you call somebody a fool, it sure sounds like an insult, right? But there's a difference for me between a fool and say a, a very unintelligent, stupid person, an idiot, whatever, all these insults that are hurled around. I don't use the word fool in an insulting way, but in a technically correct way. A fool is the opposite of a wise person. I think you should know what a wise person is. It's a person who's not just intelligent, but they base their judgments on experience, on common sense, usually on respect for other people as well. It, wisdom is a combination of qualities. Uh, wisdom is something I think that one should always strive for. Intelligence is something maybe you're even born with or you develop in the first years of your life. That is IQ, which I feel is very much overly valued. These people, I could say these fools, on platforms such as Quora, uh, I have an IQ of 130. Am I close to being a genius? Or, or my wife's IQ is, is 140. Is she superior to me? And such ridiculous nonsense. I have known people that are highly intelligent. And yet they've been total fools. Hopefully you know what I mean. I remember someone telling me about a kid in his high school class who was the best in the class. This kid didn't have to study. He must have, a, must have had an astronomically high IQ. But his life decisions then were totally foolish. First of all, he didn't go to college. He took drugs occasionally, but then he began selling drugs. He ended up living in the Baltimore ghetto, extremely poor. And so all his intelligence didn't get him anywhere in life. Uh, I have acquaintances who are very intelligent. They would score highly on an IQ test, but they're complete fools. I've also known people who have average intelligence, from what I can discern, and yet they're very wise people. Of course, I suppose the idea would be to be intelligent and also wise. But let's face it, we've all been fools at some time or another. And I say this because I'm going to be using the word fool or, and also the word foolish, I don't mean to condemn anyone. Hey, I myself have been a fool at certain times in my life. Uh, I won't go into 
some of my love experiences before I found the right woman and got married. But in love, I was often a fool. And it even goes so far to say, if you've never been a fool in love, maybe you haven't really loved. So now that's gotten out of the way. Don't take it as an insult. If I say, if you do or think this, this or this, you are a fool. I mean, you're just not acting very wisely. Now to get back to the topic, conspiracy theories, facts or fiction. What is a conspiracy? What is a conspiracy? Do conspiracies exist at all? The way you hear some people talk, you would think that they don't exist at all, right? I can guarantee you that conspiracies do exist. Uh, read your history, for example. 1944, there is a conspiracy to murder Hitler. And yes, it was a conspiracy. It was not just one person. It was a number of people. It was quite a few people, as a matter of fact, high-ranking uh, German officers who saw the direction Hitler was taking them, was leading them to total destruction in Germany. And so they determined to do something about it. And that was uh, Graf von Stauffenberg. Uh, there's a movie about it. I think Tom Cruise was the uh, main actor. I knew about it before because I lived in Germany for years. They had TV shows on about it back in the 80s when I lived in Germany. And uh, yeah, they wanted to blow him up. Uh, with the bomb. Unfortunately, the plan didn't work and Hitler got revenge and had them all executed. That was one of over 40 conspiracies to kill Hitler. So yes, I can tell you, conspiracies do exist and not just in Nazi Germany. Conspiracies are all over the place. You know, you can have a conspiracy in your family. For example, I don't know, the mother and the, and the son and daughter really just don't like the father. And so they conspire, they talk about it, well, they're just going to ignore him. Well, that's a little conspiracy. It's not of such great import, and hopefully the bad feelings pass in time. Uh, but even that is a conspiracy. If anyone thinks that, especially at the government level, or at the level of big industry, of big pharma, if anyone thinks that conspiracies do not exist, then that person is a fool, let me tell you, because they do exist. Now, on the other hand, there's some people walking around who sniff out a conspiracy when there is none. These are the people who, who, no matter what happens, they'll read any piece of news and say, oh, yes, that's part of the conspiracy. And some people go so far as to believe, uh, well, I knew one gentleman who believed that the CIA had put a satellite up in space and they did it only to track him and to spy on him. Needless to say, this person, a really good guy in general, but he was having a phase of mental illness. Right? So yes, there are people that preach conspiracies and they are technically insane, I suppose you could say. But there are many, many other people who are not insane and who have studied certain subjects and have come to the conclusion that a conspiracy exists. Now, does it? Well, I can't say speaking in general, because get this, I'll, I'll reveal something to you here. The title of this podcast, Conspiracy Theories, Facts or Fiction? Well, at this point, I can't answer that question. So it's kind of a trick question. Is a conspiracy theory a fact or is it fiction? Well, please understand, it depends on what the conspiracy theory is. To say that any conspiracy theory is ridiculous and it's nonsense and where is your tinfoil hat? I'm so sick of hearing that from people. Where is your tinfoil hat? Not that they say it to me necessarily, but I hear them insulting others with this. 
A few unfortunate individuals have said such things to me and I quickly put them in their place because it's total nonsense. By insulting someone and asking, where's your tinfoil hat when they present a conspiracy theory is just as ridiculous as a scientist maybe 50 years ago when people started talking about black holes and science but at a time when there was no proof of black holes, imagine, and there were some scientists writing articles in learned journals saying, no, there's no such thing as a black hole as we understand it today, right? Uh, and guess what? Later, they were proven to exist. Now, every physicist will say, yes, black holes do exist. And the same with any sort of conspiracy theory. There's nothing wrong in having a theory. What is really a theory? Now, I could go into some dictionary online and read you a formal definition, but let's just examine it from a, a common sense point of view. If someone says, I have a theory, and you say, what is your theory? My theory is two plus two equals four. <laughs> we probably laugh at that, and rightfully so, because two plus two equals four is not a theory, it's a fact. In other words, when something is a fact that can be demonstrated again and again, I mean, you can add up. 2 plus 2 equals 4 in any ways you want. You could do it on, on paper. You could do it uh, drawing dots on paper and adding them up. You can pick up two lemons in one hand, two lemons in the other hand, and count them. 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? It's no longer a theory. It's a fact. If somebody comes up with some kind of theory, say a conspiracy theory, before they even go into it, you might, or after they explain it superficially to you, you might want to ask the following question. Ask them, in a percentage, on a percentage basis, how much do you believe in this theory? And if that person says 100%, they're not thinking clearly. As you may know, what my, the goal of my YouTube channel, Path of Socrates, I'm going to put this channel in, in other platforms as well, just in case YouTube censors me at some point, because I've heard that happens very often these days. They wouldn't censor this thing about uh, this talk about conspiracy theories. I'm not going to get into any touchy subjects, shall we say. I won't get into COVID. I won't get into the uh, 2020 election. Won't get into any of these things for which certain opinions can get one banned. And you can have your any opinions on one of those subjects. I won't get into those things. But with conspiracy theories, someone says, yes, I have a conspiracy theory, and I'm 100% convinced. That shows this person might well be a fool. Because if they're 100% convinced and they 100% have evidence for the theory, then they should consider it a fact. Then they shouldn't say, I have this theory. They should say, I know this to be true, right? Two plus two equals four. Well, I believe that 100%, but I don't label that a conspiracy theory. That's simply a fact. Therefore, as I'm going to mention a little later, the idea of probability and approximate probability is a very important concept here. What do I mean? Well, if I say to you, let's make it a bit humorous. Uh, you're a normal guy and you've noticed your wife has been reacting strangely. All of a sudden, she goes to the hair salon a lot more and she's bought some new clothes and she seems much happier. And she and sometimes you come home from work and she's, and she's out, uh, supposedly to visit some friend of hers that you didn't even know existed etc., etc., and you might develop some kind of conspiracy theory. And your conspiracy theory is my wife's cheating on me. <laughs> Hope you've never been in that situation. I never have. <laughs> uh, my wife never has either. Uh, 
but you've seen it on TV at least, and maybe you've experienced such things. Now, can you say you know for sure she's cheating on you? Well, no, who knows? Maybe your marriage hasn't been the best, and maybe she asked a friend who happens to be a marriage counselor, and that friend told her, well, if you get new clothes, you go to the hair salon, you make yourself sexier, and you're not there all the time at home with your husband home, so he appreciates you more maybe than put your marriage on the right path. In other words, maybe she's not cheating on you at all. Maybe she's working just to get your marriage back in order. But then other signs come up. Uh, occasionally, I don't know, somebody calls up some man and asks for your wife, and, and you ask who he is, and says, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll call back later. Uh, other strange things happen. And then you're collecting evidence, that is circumstantial evidence, not direct evidence, but little clues, bits and pieces you're putting together. And if after you've put together, say, 10 or 15 of these bits or pieces, if you still think, oh, no, my wife would never cheat on me, perhaps you're the fool, right? In other words, a conspiracy theory is only as strong as the evidence behind it. I repeat, a conspiracy theory is only as right or is only as wrong as the evidence which underlies it. Now, evidence can be basically of two forms. And if you've watched any courtroom dramas, you know this well. It can be direct evidence. For example, John is accused of murdering somebody, shooting him. And there are three witnesses that saw it happen, and they're credible witnesses. Also, gunpowder residue was on this guy's hand when the police showed up just a minute later. They happened to be driving by. And they got the gun out of his hand, his fingerprints are all over the gun, and the bullet in the body comes from that gun. Well, you know, what do you need? Uh, John's going to be condemned. This is all direct evidence, right? But there's also such a thing as circumstantial evidence. Now, this is important for the idea of conspiracy theories. There are very few conspiracy theorists that can say they have direct evidence. Once again, there are very few conspiracy theorists that can say they have direct evidence. Say the subject is UFOs. Okay, there might be some who actually witnessed a UFO sighting and landing. I mean, they saw the little gray stepping right out of that round saucer that landed, you know, 50 meters from the, the observer, the conspiracy theorists. Uh, and then the grays waved to them, got back on the craft and flew off, right? Well, for that person, if you experienced that, I think you would consider that direct evidence because you saw it yourself. Now, if you have a history of mental illness, you might want to think twice, think, well, maybe my mind was playing tricks on me. If you take drugs, uh, especially illegal recreational drugs, you might want to think, well, maybe my mind was playing a trick on me. But if you have no history of mental illness, and if you don't take drugs, and if you've never had any strange psychotic episodes, and you see an alien landing 50 yards in front of you and then taking off, you'll probably believe that it happened, right? For you, that's direct evidence. But good luck trying to convince others, because for them, that's not direct evidence. For all they know, you might be telling them that to play a joke on them. You might be insane. Maybe you're just temporarily insane. Uh, maybe you had some kind of psychotic episode due to something that you ingested, etc., etc. So you hear people talking about you know, the alien conspiracy theories. And uh, I know people that get into that deeply, and they have some extremely good circumstantial evidence. Uh, but I've met very few who have witnessed such things themselves, and also witnessed it maybe with a bunch of other witnesses that also testify. Uh, 
but let me tell you, sometimes to reach a judgment, we're not talking about a court of law here, uh, in everyday life, sometimes we don't need the direct proof. We don't need the very direct evidence. Once again, you suspect your wife is cheating on you. And once again, uh, you know, she's been going to the hair salon much more often, dressing up. Uh, uh, she seems to have reached a level of happiness that she never seemed to have ever since you first met her. And she disappears at strange times of the day. And sometimes somebody calls her up and says, oh, uh, oh, yes, uh, yes, Aunt Claire, I'll call you up later. You think, oh, who's her Aunt Claire? In other words, uh, that guy called her up and she doesn't want you to know. And uh, all this evidence mounts. And you talk to a friend about it uh, because you still trust your wife and you say, oh, but I'm sure my wife wouldn't cheat on me. But you tell him all these things, all this circumstantial evidence, not direct evidence, right? And you tell him this and he says to you, are you crazy? And you say, what? And he says, hey, look at the handwriting on the wall. Your wife is cheating on you, <laughs> right? All this circumstantial evidence and it's so much that any reasonable person would conclude, hey, she is cheating on me right? And yet, note, you have no direct evidence whatsoever. Now, if you then hire a detective and the detective then hangs out and he follows your wife and he sees her and photographs her going into a hotel uh, or, or standing outside of a, hotel, a motel and waiting until this other guy shows up and they give each other a passionate kiss before disappearing into the hotel room, this is direct evidence. <laughs> At the latest, I hope you will believe she's cheating on you then right? Because that's direct evidence. But the circumstantial evidence, uh, any one piece of that alone really probably isn't too convincing. The idea that she goes to the, the hairdressers more often, well, that, that you might not suspect anything. Or that she dresses up in a prettier way, you might not suspect anything. Or that some strange phone calls arrive. Well, that alone, well, maybe it was just the wrong number, whatever, right? But all these things together, point to what is most probably, most probably, the fact that your wife is cheating on you. I hope I haven't uh, made any people feel bad. Some of you guys out there <laughs> whose wife might have just bought a new dress and you're thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> I remember what David said in that podcast, my wife is cheating on me. No, before you believe such a thing, assuming you have a good marriage, you trust your wife, uh, you better have a whole lot of circumstantial evidence. And then, you know what, just talk to her about it. And depending on how she reacts, that could give you even more circumstantial evidence. Uh, if, if she reacts in a totally believable way, say, well, no, honey, it wasn't that. It was just that I thought maybe I could get you to be more interested in me. And then she starts to cry a little and, oh, how could you suspect me of this or that? Well, anyway, you know your wife a million times better than I do because I've never met her. So, so you can judge then if you think she's lying. If on the other hand, she gets all flustered and gets all extremely defensive and, and seems very angry immediately and you think, hey, something's fishy here in a reaction. Well, that's more circumstantial evidence. So in other words, it's not unreasonable and you're not a conspiracy nut if you arrive at the conclusion your wife is cheating on you, if you have all these pieces of evidence that can only be explained in their totality by one explanation and that explanation is she's cheating on you. Now, let's transpose the same train of thought to other things. I'll use this UFO thing. This is not a podcast about UFOs, by the way. You can have any opinion on that you, you like. But I've talked to some people, highly intelligent people, that I would have to say were acting quite foolishly in the reactions when I tell them about all the evidence there is for the existence of UFOs. Let me define UFOs here. I don't mean some top secret government projects 
that we don't know about, but they really are of terrestrial origin. In other words, something looks like a flying saucer, but it's really a government project. That That's a UFO in one sense. We don't know what it is, but it's flying around. No, I mean in the classical sense, some kind of flying object uh, as existed even back in the 50s, uh, or an ex-astronaut even, L. Gordon Cooper, said back in 1950s when he was a pilot, often he had to scramble with his buddies and they had to go up and chase these round objects that flew in such ways he knew for a fact that neither America nor Russia had that technology. And he was convinced, no, there must be some visitors from another planet, or he didn't know where they were from, whether they, I don't know, some kind of long-lost culture lives inside the earth, they come from another planet, he didn't know. He just knew that this was not human technology. And that's a credible witness, uh, L. Gordon Cooper, look him up. Uh, he was in the, uh, what I think, the Mercury program, I believe it was, back in the 60s. Uh, after that, another astronaut came forward, uh, Edgar Mitchell, and said he saw UFO in space. So, I mean, there have been thousands of pilots who have seen these things. Look into it. There have been the ex-defense minister of Canada, Paul Hellyer, I believe the gentleman's name was, since deceased, he was an old guy. Uh, he talked about this. He, he said there was common knowledge uh, back among the military at that time in Canada. In other countries, experts, uh, ex-politicians have stepped forward. Uh, there are not many rational thinking people today who would reject the idea that these UFOs exist, except for those who have not looked at the evidence. And this is my main point here. I was talking to a guy, a guy that I know and like, very intelligent man, about this couple of years ago, and he totally wanted to deny the UFOs. I asked him if he knew about any of this research about any of these experts that for he didn't know any of it. He just had an opinion that he didn't want to change. And this is one of the great problems of humanity in general. People have opinions that they've totally wed, that they're totally attached to, and that they totally do not want to give up for whatever reason. I'll get into this subject in other podcasts. We'll examine human nature and its debilities, its great weaknesses as the cause of practically all the world's problems we see today and that have been existence in all times, namely the human tendency to attach oneself to a belief and to not want to give it up no matter what the, the contradicting evidence may be. And this is very unfortunate. If you're a victim of that, I advise you to do some soul searching, mind searching, if you prefer that term, uh, because we cannot get closer to truth if we are close-minded, if we simply close our minds to the evidence. Back to conspiracy theories in particular here. Somebody tells you about something that they think is going on in government. Do not condemn them. Do not laugh at them. Do not ask where their tinfoil hat is because you might well be making a fool of yourself. Now, it's possible that that person telling about the conspiracy theory is in fact half crazy. Hey, maybe they're totally crazy. But you know what? In that case, you should not laugh at them, unless you're one of those cruel, vile creatures who think it's okay to laugh at a sick person. Really, if you see somebody uh, on crutches or in a wheelchair, you're like, hey, look at that, he's in a wheelchair. Well, if you're a five-year-old, maybe you do. You know how cruel children can be. But if you're a decent adult, you won't do such a thing. And if a person's mentally ill, you know, mental illness is a really severe thing. I've fortunately never been afflicted by it. Well, there's sometimes my wife says I'm crazy, but you know how that is. <laughs> uh, but I've known people, I've known quite a few people who have been afflicted by it. And uh, it's nothing to laugh about. And guess what? My life's experience and my knowledge of people has shown me that the difference between 
uh, a clinically insane person and some so-called normal people isn't that great as isn't as great as people think <laughs> uh, <laughs> my personal conclusion is I think half of humanity is to a certain extent insane but I'll get into that in another podcast <laughs> I'll give you my reasons for thinking that uh, some of you probably already can suspect what I mean Somebody tells you about a conspiracy theory and it sounds absolutely crazy and it may well be crazy. You know, along the lines of the CIA has launched a satellite in space and they did it just to track me. Uh, you know, they're, they're following me every single move. They know what I'm thinking. They've gotten into my mind. You can be pretty sure that's a person who has mental illness. Don't laugh at the person. Don't ask about the tinfoil hat. And guess what? It's good to listen to them. Don't ignore them either and say, oh, well, that's really bad. Well, good luck. Uh, bye. I have to go. No, listen to them because maybe that person does need help and maybe you can help them if only a little bit, help them to see things more clearly. I've tried it before and I've succeeded before in some cases to help these people calm down a bit and to start putting them on the path to betterment. Uh, and maybe that's a good idea to think about. If somebody comes at you with a really crazy sounding conspiracy theory, don't laugh at them, listen to them, but ask them, say, okay, first of all, tell me about it. Second of all, say, what evidence do you have? Do you have direct evidence? Do you have indirect evidence? Then say, to what extent do you believe in this theory of yours? If they say 100%, remind them, wait, if it's 100%, then you totally believe it. Then for you, that's a fact, right? And they'll say yes. And then say, okay, prove it to me. 2 plus 2 is 4, that's a fact, you can prove it that to me, right? Prove this to me. They say, well, because I can feel that satellite. They say, well, just because you can feel it doesn't mean that it's there, prove it to me. Uh, do you have photos of this special satellite? Do you have any kind of evidence whatsoever that could convince a court of law, for example? And they won't, of course. And you can quickly get to the point where you can see the person's mentally ill. I mean, don't badger them with it. Don't try to then insult them or don't, you know, <laughs> don't harass them with it, but suggest that they maybe talk to some kind of expert or maybe in longer conversations, you can get them to begin to see reason. But now, of course, we have another group of people. They talk about some conspiracy theories and the conspiracy theory is not totally insane. They don't think the CIA launched a satellite just to spy on them, uh, but they might think, uh, I don't know, would be a good example that... Uh, that in fact, not only are there UFOs, but that the government knows about UFOs and the government is conspiring with the aliens to dominate mankind, for example. Okay, we have, let's examine this. The existence of UFOs, most people today believe it and the overwhelming majority of people who have looked into this and studied the evidence, either direct or circumstantial, believe it. So let's assume for now that UFOs do exist. But there's a big step from the existence of UFOs, that is, for example, extraterrestrials who visit the Earth, to put it in a very simple form. There's a big, dis a big distance between that and believing that these creatures from outer space have contact with their government. Well, that could be. Personally, I think that's probable. But then there's a big distance between that and the idea that they're conspiring with the government to dominate mankind. Boy, you need a lot of evidence for that. Uh, I don't know many people who think such things. And indeed, for example, maybe some people take it further, say if it's a Democrat, say this, yes, they're, they're, they're conspiring 
with those evil Republicans to dominate mankind, the aliens, the little greys and those evil Republicans. If you're Republican, you might say, yes, the little greys and those evil Democrats. Or those evil libertarians with Ron Paul at their head. Yes, they're conspiring with the little gray. Well, wow. And you look at all the elements in such a theory, and I defy anyone to prove that <laughs> or to give any kind of evidence, even circumstantial, that would point in that direction. In other words, here you might be dealing with somebody who might not be totally insane, but uh, there's another group of people, I don't mean insane people now, I mean people who revel in having conspiracy theories, and you've all met maybe some of those. This is the counterpart, the other side of the coin, of <laughs> the coin which also contains the person who negates any kind of conspiracy theory. Uh, both of these groups I would consider fools. That is, the person who finds a conspiracy theory all over the place. Maybe nothing personal, maybe not the CIA spying on them. In other words, maybe they're not insane. They just like to think that they know more than other people. That they have these secrets that other people don't possess. My God, internet is full of such people, isn't it? Hey, you can accuse me of being such a person, putting up the present podcast and others I might have done before, will do in the future. Uh, let me just tell you here, and I mean this honestly, the only reason why I'm starting to do this podcast, it's not because I have this absolute necessity of contacting mankind to talk to it. Look, I'm 65 years old. If I had had such a nature, I've been doing these things many years ago. I'm doing this because I've recognized some things in life. And thanks to, hey, people educating me, uh, learning by examples that other people are giving me, reading many books by people that were kind enough to write those books and books from which I've learned. Uh, also, I've acquired not just further knowledge, but maybe even a degree of wisdom by countless hours of real and deep thought about many issues, about myself, about mankind and its weaknesses and its strengths, my own weaknesses and strengths. And I feel, call me an idealist if you will, maybe I am one, probably am. I think that if someone has accumulated knowledge and experience, it, it won't be just because of his or her own efforts. It'll be thanks to the other people you've known in life, people that have taught you lessons, some lessons that you willingly and gladly accepted, others that you might have fought against, but in time you realized that that person might have said some harsh things to you was really right on the mark. You've learned a lot from the things you've read, from the things you've heard, from the things you've seen, from the things you've intuited, and, and I believe you owe a debt to others, just as others have helped you on your path towards recognizing more. I think we should help others. And I don't just mean intellectuals or people who read a lot or whatever. Uh, let me tell you, if I had chosen another path in life, say a path of being uh, a carpenter, for example, or an instrument maker, better, because I'm a harpsichordist, I love old music, especially Baroque music, and uh, I don't have a harpsichord. Now, ever since I moved to Japan, I had to sell it. I still dream about it, though, <laughs> the one I had to leave behind in Europe when I left. But if I were an instrument maker and only concentrated on that, you know, even if I sold a good number of instruments and were living quite comfortably, I'd still want to pass on my trade to an apprentice. I think, wow, all these great things I learned about how to make an instrument, which I didn't learn because I was not an instrument maker, I was a performer. But if I'd learned all those things, all these little 
tricks and and methods to make a better harpsichord would have learned from my master or from books or from whatever sources, and above all from experience, maybe some some novelties that I incorporated into my instruments, I'd want to pass that on to others. And I think everybody should do that. Hey, if you're an older person out there, 65 or older, <laughs> I just entered your group, I suppose, when I turned 65 in November, uh, I hope you talk to your grandchildren. I hope you have some grandchildren. Uh, I don't have any children or grandchildren, but I've noticed something very sad. You know, when I was a child, I liked to talk to old people. My, my grandparents, for example, any old person, to hear about their experiences, their past, what it was like in the past. But many young people don't like to do that. If you're blessed with grandchildren and you notice that some like to listen to you, tell them stories, pass on your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom. And I think that's what we should all do. I know I've uh, diverted a little, but remember I warned you, a stream of consciousness tinged talk. When I started uh, to do this series of talks, I had a dilemma. And my dilemma was, how should I do this? Should I just uh, talk, concentrate, focus on only one subject and maybe write down a whole lot of points? Talk about? No, that's not me. So yes, I will go off on tangents every once in a while. But they're all somehow related because many of things, these things are related. This is not a formal talk. It's an informal talk. Getting back to conspiracy theories and taking into account what I just explained. You, even if you're only 20, you who are listening to me, you know, you have a bit of wisdom to pass on to those that are only, you know, maybe 13, 14, 15. The good things you have learned in life, pass them on to others. And let's incorporate that thought into the conspiracy theories thing. Where were we? Okay, we've talked about the insane conspiracy theorist that has these theories because they're insane. Others that aren't really insane, but they just like to have conspiracies. No matter what government does, ah, it must be some conspiracy. Well, that's pretty easy to tear apart. But don't tear it apart in a cruel way. Because, hey, maybe this person has a bit of insanity. Maybe not. Maybe they have really investigated things much more than you have. Going into maybe certain assassinations. Uh, and they've gone into a much deeper level. And you have Maybe they do have evidence. Maybe you can learn from these people. Don't be so arrogant that you think that you know the truth. And anybody talks back and says, oh, they're half crazy. Where's your tinfoil hat? If you, if you do that, you're a fool. I'll tell you straight out, you're a fool. If, on the other hand, you have a conspiracy theory and you're convinced it's 100% correct and everybody will believe you, even though you've never succeeded in convincing anybody because you have no evidence, well, then you're the fool. Once again, a conspiracy theory is only as true is, or is only as false, is only as factual or is only as fictitious as the evidence behind it. And once again, that evidence could be direct, it could be indirect, circumstantial evidence. But even circumstantial evidence, when it adds up, it can be extremely powerful. Maybe you couldn't convict somebody in a court of law with only circumstantial evidence. You probably won't be able to because then it has to be really at the level of beyond the shadow of a doubt. That gets into other subjects about how juries can be swayed. But even there, if the circumstantial evidence is just of an incredible volume, if there are 150 pieces of circumstantial evidence and everything points in only one direction, then you probably can get a conviction. Listen to somebody who tells you about a conspiracy theory, but ask them questions. This is the path of Socrates. What did Socrates, the great philosopher, do? He asked questions. That's why he was so uncomfortable. 
He questioned everything. You will hear much more about this in every talk that I give on my channel. He questioned everything. I have, from early childhood on, I've been a follower of Socrates before I knew who Socrates was, because I always questioned. I was brought up in a Catholic household, went to Catholic school, and yes, as a child, I was very Catholic. I believed. I believed in the devil, Jesus Christ, etc., etc. But, you know, I also questioned occasionally. The nuns didn't like that. I would ask questions the other kids didn't ask. I always thought, well, gee, sister, uh, you say we should just believe this, but, you know, this just doesn't quite make sense to me. You be quiet now, the nun would say. You be quiet now. This is religion class. You just be quiet and learn. And I would think, hey, why are they trying to shut me up? Uh, it's a legitimate question. Some things just don't seem to make sense to me here. And, you know, that path got me into trouble in high school. By that age, uh, I was always respectfully, mind you. I was never insulting these nuns. Well, maybe behind their backs with my, with my classmates. Okay, who didn't insult the nuns behind their backs when talking to the classmates? But when talking to nuns, I never insulted them. I never really attacked them, but I asked questions, especially in religion class, because we went to a Catholic high school. So in religion class, I would, I would question, and it almost got me kicked out of high school a few times. A little anecdote there. The nuns couldn't handle me. I was 15 years old. Yes, I was arrogant. Uh, I had a certain degree of mental brilliance. No brag, just fact, as Will Sonnet would have said. You old-timers will remember Will Sonnet, Walter Brennan. Uh, I was I was a clever kid, and I was too clever for my own good sometimes, right? And I was in the little intellectual group of kids at high school. I wasn't really a nerd in that sense, but uh, uh, but yeah, I was in that group. I was a chess player and a pretty good one at that. And so in religion class, I'd already entered a phase of pretty much total doubt, uh, atheism, put it plainly. By that time, I was already an atheist. I'm not an atheist now. That's a subject for another podcast. But uh, in any case, I would question, and always respectfully, and the nuns didn't have any answers. And they would get angry. One called my parents and said they might kick me out of school if I kept, I should just be quiet. And my, and my mother said, why do you ask those questions? Just, just, be, just be quiet and listen. My father just smiled. <laughs> and I could see what was in his face. He was proud of me. Now, he was, as far as I know, a religious man as well, right? But he was proud that I asked questions because I think he was of the same caliber. Unfortunately, he died when I was only 23. I never got to know him very deeply, and it's a pity. I do regret that. Died suddenly at the age of 50. But anyway, I would ask a lot of questions. They were the wrong questions. But then finally, a nun sent me to Father Lyons, the principal of the lone Catholic High. They sent me to him. And you know, Father Lyons, I recognize years later, he was a wise man. He knew me. He knew kids like me. He knew he wasn't going to get anywhere, you know, arguing about religion with me. Uh, I'm sure on a theological level, he could have done a pretty good job. He was an intelligent man. But he didn't even try to do that. You know what Father Lyons did? He said, you know, David, that sister, I forget what her name was now, uh, she works so hard, as do the other nuns. They don't receive much pay to speak of at all. I mean, okay, they have a place to live and everything, but, but they dedicate themselves to teaching. And they have to put up with kids that then create problems for them. And you give them really a hard time. I know you're intelligent. You're giving them a hard time. Can't you let up on her a little? Can't you be you know, just a little nicer, just be quiet and listen? And you know what I said? I was touched. I said, you know, Father, you're right. I'm not going to say anything. 
You notice how wise this man was? <laughs> he didn't enter an argument with me. He played on my emotions, and it worked. It worked. He was a wise man. And so I went back to class. I didn't say as much. Of course, after a few weeks, I started asking questions again, got a little trouble again. But you see my point. Argumentation is not always the best approach. It really isn't. Back to conspiracy theorists. You have a friend who comes up with some conspiracy theory, and you can tell the guy's not crazy, but you think his conspiracy theory is ridiculous. Don't insult him. Don't get into arguments. Just put the thing on a different level. Ask for his evidence. Say, well, that's interesting. Tell me about it. Why do you believe this? Where is your evidence? Do you have any direct evidence? He probably won't. Maybe he does, but may probably he won't. And it might even be not be necessary to have direct evidence because it might have a whole lot of indirect evidence. Listen to that evidence. I'm going to give you a very good example of this. And now we will get a little into politics. John McCain and John McCain's death. Now, from the beginning, I can tell you, I'm not going to say I believe this or I don't believe this. I believe this 100% don't believe this. This is one of the problems of humanity. So when people think, oh, I believe that, or no, I don't believe that at all. Both attitudes have something of foolishness in them, I believe. I always say, I think this is 50% probable, or 10% probable, or 90% probable. I will practically never say, I believe this is 100% probable, because that would mean that I believe it's a fact, and if it's a fact, I should be able to demonstrate it to anybody. I will also practically never say, that is impossible, unless it is impossible. Let's get into this for a minute. People talk about UFOs and, uh, and disbelievers. Oh, that's impossible. What the devil do you know, you negator, you who say that's impossible? What do you know about what is possible or impossible in the universe? Who do you think you are? <laughs> really? Does any serious scientist pretend to know what is impossible or possible in the universe? Oh, certain things. Maybe. For example, no object, nothing with mass can travel faster than the speed of light. But guess what? I read recently the opinion of some physicists says, you know, it may just theoretically be possible that some things with matter could travel at, at uh, speeds in excessive speed of light. I can't explain it further. I just read it in passing. Uh, maybe it's not true. I don't know. But who can say they know for a fact all that is possible or impossible in the entire universe? If you believe that, you're a total fool, let me tell you. In other words, to say, oh, UFOs, aliens visiting other planets, because the distances are so great, they couldn't travel all those light years. Uh, and some scientists used to say that as well. Of course, if wormholes are a fact, and if it's possible because of the curvature of space-time to somehow get over that obstacle and to travel huge distances in much, much less time, well, then it is possible for aliens to come. Anybody that says they know everything that's possible or impossible in the universe, that person, must, for me, it's an insane person, right? So let's get away from this thought of, oh, this conspiracy theory, that's impossible. Let me tell you this, even the insane person says the CIA launched a satellite spying on them, that's not impossible. The CIA could theoretically launch a satellite, they have the money to do so, uh, if they wanted to, if they wanted to trace you, they could do that. Using satellite technology, bugging your apartment, whatever, theoretically they could do it. Still, if somebody believes that, almost certainly they're insane because why would they do it? 
Now, if the person saying that happens to be, I don't know, Donald J. Trump, well, maybe he has a point because, you know, to, to spy on, you know, a president, Biden, Trump, you know, Obama, throw in any name you want. Yeah, if the CIA wants to track them, well, maybe they would do that. Or if it's some kind of, I don't know, extremely influential person, Vladimir Putin, well, maybe they would launch a satellite just to spy on Vladimir Putin and some of his cronies. Uh, and they would certainly try to bug his place, right? If he says, you know, David, uh, uh, if I'm talking to my friend Vlad, no, I've never met Putin. <laughs> I never had the, the, the privilege. <laughs> uh, if he said, you know, I think the CIA is spying on me. Imagine that you meet Putin and through a translator, I think maybe he speaks some English. I know he speaks German. And he says to you, you know, you know, my friend, I think CIA is spying on me. You're going to say, oh, this, oh, Vladimir, you're crazy. You're not going to say that. You can say, well, yes, I'm pretty sure they are, right? So it depends on who says such a thing too. In other words, what I'm telling you is in this subject, as in all others, open your mind, listen to people, show people common respect. And I don't care who it is. I said, pointed out, even if it's an insane person, listen to that person. Maybe you can help them. And if the person's not insane, but just maybe but they have an exaggerated stance as far as conspiracy theories go, listen to them, but follow the path of Socrates. Ask them questions. Ask them questions. Ask them for the evidence. Circling around, as that uh, press secretary of Biden <laughs> likes to say, well, I'm guilty of it too, apparently. Circling around here, coming back to John McCain, let me tell you a little conspiracy theory that's out there. The conspiracy theory is that John McCain was recognized to be a traitor and he didn't really die of his brain tumor. He died because he was executed. He was giving, given a secret trial by military tribunal and he was executed two years ago, about two years ago. I forget exactly what the date was. Now you might say, oh, that's a total conspiracy theory. Years ago, I really liked John McCain. I thought, well, he, you know, he's willing to talk to the other side, to the Democrats. And he seemed very reasonable in the year 2000. I would have preferred him as the candidate instead of George W. Bush, right? Later, I wasn't such a fan of his because he seemed to be quite the war hawk. And America's gotten into far too many wars. So I changed my opinion about him. But today's a traitor. Okay, well, let me tell you bits and pieces I've put together in the last few days. I'm not saying this because I'm one of those crazy conspiracy theorists. But, uh, but because I question. I follow the path of Socrates. Okay. I read, and I had read this years ago, that there are groups of veterans that have said for decades that McCain was not the war hero, that when he was a prisoner in Hanoi, he was called the songbird by the North Vietnamese. He would sing, he would tell them anything they wanted to know. And he was always better fed and, and better clothed and cleaner than the other prisoners. There are people that were in the Hanoi Hilton, you know, people who managed to get out of there alive and have said for years, McCain was really a traitor. They've been saying this for decades. Okay, do I know that for a fact? No, of course I don't. Is that direct evidence? For me, it's not. I just read about what these vets said, right? Circumstantial evidence? Well, yes, if these vets did say that, I think we'd consider that circumstantial evidence at the very least. A court of law, if those vets appear there, might consider it direct evidence. But there's more. Some people were saying, hey, the flag on McCain's coffin was exceedingly wrinkled, and that's a sign of the traitor. When somebody is, for example, executed, you don't want the public to know, and maybe it was a congressman or in the military, you put the flag on the coffin, but you put a wrinkled flag there. Well, I looked at picture flag, and the truth is the flag did seem more wrinkled than normal. Whether that's really the way they do it, I'm not sure, but it's a little interesting fact. And then we have something else. Remember when Donald Trump 
insulted McCain terribly, saying, oh, my, a hero for me isn't somebody who's in captivity. I thought that was extremely boorish. Of course, not the only boorish thing Trump ever said, let's face it. And I don't care whether, you're, whether you were for Trump or against him. The man could say some pretty strong things. He just, you know, let it all out. And I thought, that's a terrible thing to say about John McCain. But then there's more. Then there's more. Then, for example, I saw the daughter of McCain on some little excerpt. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. I think her name is Megan McCain or whatever. And she's talking about, I forget what the context was, talking about a list of, mentioning a list of politicians. And, and she mentions this person, that person, and she said, and my father, they can't kill him again. What, they can't kill him again? What does she mean by that? My father, they can't kill him again. But wait, there's more. I also discovered a few days ago, John Kasich, governor of Ohio. He was a, a, a candidate for, in the Republican primaries a few years ago, right? Serious man always seemed to me. He was talking, I think this was on CNN. Yes, it was on CNN. Chris Cuomo was talking to him. And uh, he said, look, it's only 24 hours. It was a, a day after McCain died, right? It's on YouTube as well. You can look it up. I saw two different films of this, right? Two different videos. He said, look, it's only 24 hours after McCain was put to death. Yes, you heard that right. He said, after McCain was put to death. Now, let me ask you, have you ever made a mistake like that? I can tell you, my mother, God rest her soul, best mother in the world as far as I'm concerned. She died in 2013. I might also say she passed away in 2013. I might also say she went to meet her maker in 2013. I might also say she, I don't know, uh, went on to a better world in 2013. But I would never say my mother was put to death in 2013. Would you? Would you ever make that kind of mistake? I know I wouldn't. I've never heard anybody make that mistake before. Could it be that John, John Kasich knows something the public doesn't? Could it be that this is why McCain's daughters said that of my father, they can't kill him again? Could it be why this flag maybe really was exceedingly wrinkled on McCain's coffin? Could it be that this is why Trump and McCain really hated each other? Could it be, for example, that Trump knew that McCain was a traitor and McCain knew that Trump knew that and that's why McCain was totally against Trump and that's why Trump hated McCain? Could it be? I can't tell you 100%. I can practically never tell you 100%. I'm a follower of Socrates, remember? Uh, I, I know that ultimately I know nothing in one sense. Socrates was exaggerating there. I'm sure he believed he knew some things, but I'm sure he would agree he didn't know anything 100%. It's almost impossible to know something 100% unless it's mathematics or something like that. Two plus two equals four, right? I can't tell you that McCain was a traitor, but I can tell you just these past few days, out of curiosity, I was looking into these things. Oh, one more thing, very interesting. You know, you've heard about Q, whether it's a secret military group, whatever. I don't know what Q is, really. Does anybody? But supposedly, Q put out one of those so-called drops 30 days before McCain's death, supposedly of a brain tumor. And it said, McCain was already, I believe, retired at that time because of his brain tumor. He had already, you know, he was already with his family, I suppose, getting, uh, I guess, drugs for the pain or whatever. And Q put something out there, watch the news, I forget the exact wording, watch the news in 30, McCain will be in the news in 30 days. And 30 days later, McCain dies. 
was this cue a psychic or what? I mean, if you have a brain tumor, you know, and it's really bad, okay, you're going to die maybe in the next month or so, but how do you know it's it's going to be exactly 30 days? Could it be the Q really is part of military intelligence and they knew he was going to die in 30 days because he'd already been condemned to die by execution in 30 days? And I'm using this example. You can believe whatever you want about John McCain. Love him, hate him, I don't know. I don't love him or hate him. I, I don't know all the facts and I, I admit it freely. This is how conspiracy theories can begin, but look at here the circumstantial evidence. Put all those things together. Trump and McCain hated each other. Well, that could be for other reasons as well. True. The flag was wrinkled in the coffin. Well, that could be for other reasons too. Somebody forgot to, to, to iron it. True. Uh, McCain's daughter says, my father, they can't kill him again. Well, maybe a slip of the tongue. That could be too. John Kasich says, uh, it's only 24 hours after McCain was put to death. Well, a really strange and weird error, but you know, mistakes do happen. Uh, Q mentioned that 30 days, a stroke of luck. But you know, with circumstantial evidence, if there's only one piece of it, it's not too strong, but if you put one thing together with another thing and another thing and another thing, it almost amounts to proof. Now, I don't think I have a proof enough to say that I believe 99% McCain was a traitor, but just the things that I've put together out of curiosity, just following this path of thought, right? Because I like to do that about many things. It's changed my opinion somewhat. Uh, a, a month ago, somebody had said McCain was a traitor. I would have said, well, it's possible, maybe 10% probability. Now, putting all these other things together, I say it's at least a 50% chance. You see how that fluctuates. And you see how it would be a bit foolish to say, no, McCain was not a traitor. That's a ridiculous conspiracy theory. Or to say, yes, 100% McCain was a traitor. I know. Well, no, you don't know unless you have concrete facts. In other words, we should see this on a probability basis. Right? So, to sum up here a bit, because I've almost reached the one-hour point, some of my talks will be longer, some shorter. But just to go over some things that you should keep in mind where talk of conspiracy theory is concerned. First of all, do not laugh at anybody that comes to you with conspiracy theory. Because if it sounds really crazy, maybe a person's sane, and it's not polite, and it's not very humane to laugh at ill people. And if you think it is, you're rather despicable. Sorry, I have to say it. You're rather despicable, and you're also a fool. Because let me tell you, good example with conspiracy theories here. This is a really good example. During World War II, I believe it was 1944. President Roosevelt and his staff, they receive information given to them by a man, I believe it's a Polish man. This Polish man had been in a place called Auschwitz and he had managed to escape. Not many escaped from that hellhole, from the concentration camp, the death camp Auschwitz, but he did. And he wanted the world to know what was going on there, that they were exterminating people by the thousands, by, by, ultimately by the millions. But who was he going to go to? This was some poor guy who just managed to get out of a concentration camp. Half starved, no doubt, almost dead, but he did survive. Well, through intermediaries, he talked to some people, they talked to other people, and finally, this report landed on the desk of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President of the United States. Now, you would think, oh, it might have been, I don't, I'm not sure what year it was, it might have been 43, I really don't remember. I could look it up, but no, this is an informal talk. I'm not going to put it on pause and start looking up. You can look it up for yourself. So what do you think happened? Do you think Roosevelt thought, oh, the Holocaust isn't just a rumor, it's going on, we'll be, we should do something. You know, a lot of people in those concentration camps 
were praying that the Allies would bomb the concentration camp. Now, of course, they knew a lot of them would get killed, but a lot of Nazis would get, Nazis would get killed too, and they would even prefer a death like that just rather than waiting and being worked to death. And they, of course, they hoped then that a lot of them would be able to then be freed. But that day didn't come like that, right? Why? Because Roosevelt and his people, they saw that report, they studied that report, and you know what they said? Among themselves, they said, oh, what? The Germans, well, we know Hitler is bad, he attacked other countries, but that he would have extermination camps and gas chambers? And that they'd be sending train loads of people practically every day to arrive there and then, then work them to death and, and, and the maybe children at the old week, they would kill... No, the Germans can't be that bad. They can't be that bad. But my God, Germany, it was, it's a country of Beethoven and Bach and, and, and Johann Wolfgang von Goethe and great intellectuals and philosophers and psycho... The Germans, okay, Hitler is bad, but he'll pass. But the Germans, they couldn't do that. And, Germ and Hitler couldn't do it alone. He'd have to have thousands of helpers helping him do this. People rounding up these innocents and, and gassing them to death or just shooting them or working with them. No, the Germans can't be that bad. In other words, their conclusion was, oh, this is some kind of crazy conspiracy theory. But guess what? It did happen. This report that sounded maybe half insane to them, was, oh, this, this it can't be. It was true. And because they didn't act more thousands, more hundreds of thousands were murdered. You think about that. The next time you laugh at a conspiracy theorist, you think about that. Think about that. Remember that, that one example. And this is factual. This is history. I didn't make it up. You think about that. You think about that deeply. In other words, somebody comes at you with some kind of conspiracy theory. I don't know. I could go into certain topics and some, because we're in the age where there are more conspiracy theories than ever uh, and I won't go into any details here but let me tell you some of the conspiracy theories that you've no doubt heard in my estimation are factual I won't say 100% because I never say 100% but I'll say some of them have so much evidence behind so much circumstantial evidence and some a lot of concrete evidence that I would say they're 99% almost certainly true I won't mention any of them. I will only say for you that like to negate anything that smells of conspiracy theory and laugh at it, you should start listening to people more in many areas. And whenever somebody comes at you with a theory, that's a conspiracy theory, ask for the evidence, any direct evidence they might have. Second of all, circumstantial evidence. And I will call that, uh, we'll, we'll combine this with reasoning. As I pointed out before, one piece of circumstantial evidence, you know, your wife goes to the hair salon more often. Was this proof, in quotes, that she's cheating on you? Of course not. It's just one little piece of circumstantial evidence you probably wouldn't even notice. But then she buys new clothes, and then she starts exercising to lose a few pounds. And then she receives these mysterious calls. And then she's sometimes not home when you get there, although she normally always used to be, and etc., 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 uh, well, the more circumstantial evidence there is, the more everything's pointing in one direction. And this is where reasoning comes in, being able to judge. The person who says, hey, look, just because my wife goes to the hair salon more, that doesn't mean anything. Of course, she's not cheating on me. But then your best friend says, well, no, but she's also buying new clothes. Well, just because she likes to buy new clothes now and she never used to, that doesn't mean anything either. Your friend says, no, but look, she's doing exercise left to lose weight. That could be a sign. She's, oh, no, that doesn't mean anything, you say. 
and uh, look, you said you see these mysterious calls a lot of times. Well, that doesn't mean anything. They're probably just wrong numbers. If you try to negate every single piece of circumstantial evidence, you're a fool. Because if you put together enough of these pieces, you'll probably come to the conclusion that yes, with 90% certainty, she is cheating on you. In other words, you have to use reasoning here. You have to be able to judge the circumstantial evidence, weigh the circumstantial evidence. How much is there? Put it together. That's where reasoning comes in. I know reasoning isn't the strong suit of every person on this planet. Uh, would that it were, because <laughs> the world would be in a better place. But you can practice reasoning. Reasoning is like a tool. Clear thinking is a tool. I'm going to be doing a, a podcast about this, how to think more clearly. It's like a tool. You don't have to be a genius to think clearly. You have to use certain tools. It's like uh, uh, being a carpenter and building a table, building a musical instrument. You don't have to have an extremely high IQ. You have to learn the techniques and how to do it and practice those techniques. And, and you can apply this to thinking. I've been doing it all my life, practicing how to think clearly. But that's not a subject for now. We're conspiracy theories. Third of all, first of all, we ask for direct evidence of your conspiracy theorist friend. Ask for any indirect evidence, that is circumstantial evidence. Start putting together by reasoning. Start weighing the evidence he presents you. Keep an open mind. That's very important. That really should be the first thing. Keep an open mind. Listen to people. Do you know how often we don't listen to people? I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a few years ago no longer in contact with him because he moved away from Japan, where I now live. Uh, and we're talking about something, and I suggested, uh, well, okay, I'll put it this way. We're talking about something, and I made a point, and then he started talking again, as if I hadn't said anything. And I said, oh, wait a minute, Charles. Uh, what did I just say? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, you made your points before I made my point. I just made a point that's very important, and now you talk as though I didn't say it. What was the point I just made? And he looked, he gave me this blank stare. Said, well, well, I don't know. But what was the point I just made? He said, I said, the point you just made, the previous point was this. I remembered it. The point before that you made was this. The point before that was this. He couldn't mention a single point that I made. In other words, I had been having a conversation with this, I hate to say it, but with this fool for like a half hour. And then I finally realized he hadn't mentally noted any of the points that I had made. He wasn't really listening to me. He just wanted to make his points think about this. I hope you're not guilty of this. The next time you're in a conversation with somebody and you get the idea they're not listening to you, say, oh, excuse me, I forgot. What was the point I just made? You might just, oh, I forgot too. Say, oh no, now I remember. It was this. Why didn't you remember? And if he says, what was the point I just made? Tell him what the point he just made was. Can you remember it? Are you listening to the other person? I always listen. In a debate, in a conversation, I listen to what the other person says. If they say, what did I just say? I said, you said this. Practice this and demand this from the person you're talking to. Because let me tell you, you've probably been in debates before, in little conversations, discussions, disagreements. And most probably, the person you're talking to isn't listening to anything you're saying. It's frightening. It's terrible. It reminds you of a horror film, right? Like there's horror films where half the people in the world have secretly been been uh what their body's been occupied by aliens and nobody recognized except you but we talk about conspiracy theory there right <laughs> oh, right the, what's, what was the film uh, the the invasion of the body snatchers both versions are really good i suggest you see them really good horror films it's almost like that we're talking to people and we think people are listening to us and half the time they're not even listening to what we're saying 
force them to listen to what you're saying and do them the courtesy of listening to what they say, because that's the only way we can truly communicate with others. Might do a podcast just on that subject. That's how important it is. But for here, I'll say, after asking your conspiracy theorist friend for any direct evidence and for indirect evidence, then putting the pieces together through reasoning, keep your mind open still and keep your mind open from the beginning. Listen to what they're saying. Also, put your own prejudices aside. I repeat, put your own prejudices aside. In other words, you might believe, getting back to the alien thing, you might believe, oh, UFOs are ridiculous. There's no such thing as aliens. That's a prejudice. Because you believe that, I guarantee you, you haven't studied the evidence. It is a prejudice. And if you believe 100% they exist, 100%, that's also a prejudice, unless you have actually experienced them. Okay, there's so much evidence for aliens. Even so, I wouldn't say 100%. I don't say 100% about anything. Put your prejudices aside. If you're a conspiracy theorist and the other guy is almost mocking your conspiracy theory, as long as he's listening, continue to engage him and remind him it's good to put your prejudice aside. He should put his prejudice aside. In other words, oh, aliens, that's ridiculous. And you should put your prejudice aside. No doubt, 100% aliens exist and they're here to conquer the world. Put your prejudice aside. Use only evidence, either direct or indirect, that is circumstantial evidence. Use reasoning. Keep your mind open for what the, the skeptic says as well. Because guess what? A lot of times the skeptics are, are correct too. Keep your mind open. Put your prejudice aside and put your ego aside. Don't assume you're always right because I guarantee you, you aren't. And if you think you are, you're a fool. The person who says, I'm always right. Well, either you're talking to God Almighty, which I doubt. And if you think you are, you probably should see a psychiatrist. Not saying it's impossible. Once again, not saying it's impossible. Some people have had the mystical experience and they might have been, been in touch with God. I'm certainly not saying it's impossible. But if you really think you have a direct line to, to God and he's telling you that everything you believe is correct, uh, you, you should almost no doubt see a psychologist. Almost no doubt. Note my wording. Put your prejudices aside. Put your ego aside. Listen to the other person. I don't care how different their opinion is. You like one politician. You like one president, shall we say. And the other guy likes the other one and hates yours. Listen to what he says and remind him he should listen to what you say. I know in politics that's almost impossible these days, but listen. Both you should put your prejudice aside, put your hatred aside, put your stupid egos aside, put your ridiculous vanity aside and listen to the other person, but then talk about everything on the evidential level. What evidence is there? What circumstantial evidence is there? And as far as evidence concerned, if your side is the side that doesn't want to look at the evidence, then your side is almost certainly wrong, and they're the ones that are trying to hide evidence. I won't go into that thought any further, relating it to certain phenomena in our times, but think about that. If it's your side that doesn't want certain evidence to come out and they're trying to hide that evidence, there's probably a reason why they're trying to hide it. Probably they're guilty of something, just like in a court of law. Hey, 
the typical stereotypical mafia trial. You ever seen this in old movies? And it happens in reality. The prosecutor says, the defendant, I accuse him of being part of a criminal organization that is the mafia. And then the, and then the defendants on the stand and they ask him about that. Is it true that you, you're a member of the mafia? He says, mafia? Oh, that mafia? That's a myth. That doesn't exist. What are you saying? Oh, the mafia. That's, that's conspiracy theory. You know, mafia people, you say they didn't use the term conspiracy theory. They still have mafia. That's just a myth. Even in Italy, when they were put on trial, whether it's, uh, whether it's mafia, whether it's La Camorra, that was the, in Naples, that was kind of a mafia, but from Naples, or uh, uh, what's, the, what's the third one called? Andragheta, I believe. Yeah, in, in southern Italy. Andragheta. That was the southern Italian version of mafia. Mafia in itself, that was from Sicily, right? So there are three types of mafia, I guess one would say. Three types of criminal organization. But typically they would say, what? That's ridiculous. That doesn't exist. Of course that organization existed. But they said, oh, that's conspiracy theory. That doesn't exist, right? Why, why did they say that? Because if they admit that it exists and they're a member, then they're closer to being to being convicted, right? So the people that are trying to hide any evidence say, oh, that's ridiculous. That doesn't exist. That's just a fantasy. Uh, that's baseless claims of the existence of this or that, like baseless claims of the prosecutor's baseless claims that there's a mafia, right? Or, or President so-and-so's baseless claims of this or that. Uh, yeah, don't, don't buy into that. Say, well, is there any evidence? Look at the other side. Look at the evidence they present and then use your reasoning to see if there's anything behind that evidence. What's the probability? We'll get into probability in a later podcast. Keep your mind open. Forget your prejudices. Put your vanity aside. Put your ego aside. Look at the evidence and always question. Question those on your side as well. People that agree with you. If you're a UFO fan, people would talk about UFOs. They say, yes, and I know there are UFOs. And, and hey, guess what? They visited me last night. You say, okay, who? wait a minute, let's take a step back and visit you. And then you ask. You don't say, well, that's ridiculous. Aren't you? Wasn't that a dream? Yes, ask that question. Wasn't that a dream? Ask, ask, ask. And even better, don't just ask. Say, may we record this conversation? And I'll tell you why I do that. I had, a, well, no, I won't go into that. I go into another podcast. I'll do a podcast just about UFOs. Should I do that? Tell me if you'd like to hear about that. Uh, record, even in video, what they say. Say, let's record this conversation. They say, yes, it was visited by aliens. Ask, ask, what happened? What time was it? Did anybody else witness it? Was your spouse awake? Did he or she see or hear anything? What did the aliens do? Do you have any marks on your body? Uh, what mental state were you in? Uh, did you drink anything the night before? Ask, 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 and record their answers. And I'll tell you why. Because I've had this before. I've even recorded some people talking about these things. Uh, one girl after immediately after seeing a UFO. But I talked to her about it uh, just a few months later, and she had forgotten half of what she witnessed. She didn't remember. I said, wait a minute, but you said this, and I have it on tape here. Oh, oh, real? oh yeah, I guess so. People forget. It's amazing. This happens in courts of law, too. This is a known phenomenon. Uh, what color was the car that the, the defendant drove away? You know, after he supposedly robbed the bank, what was the car? It was a red car. In other words, it was an orange car. It was a yellow car. People forget things. This is known among people who work in the, in the legal system or work in psychology. Uh, so, yeah, 
if somebody comes at you with some kind of conspiracy theory, ask him to record the conversation. Say to him, you know, this is really interesting. Let's record this conversation and then just ask, ask, ask. Put your prejudice aside. Don't mock them, right? And the same thing, if you're in a conversation with a skeptic, you believe in some kind of conspiracy, you're talking to a skeptic, ask him to record the conversation. And then we say, oh, that's not possible. Then say, okay, for example, aliens are saying, why is this not possible? Oh, because Carl Sagan said this. And you think, oh, but you know, some other scientist says this. How do you know one's right and the other? Are you a scientist? Can you judge this? See what they say. Question the skeptic as well. So I'm going to end this uh, MP3 now. I could go on and on. That's uh, one of my great faults, as you'll discover. I don't know when to shut up. <laughs> but you know, when you connect one thing to the other, uh, to the other, uh, you would almost go on forever. Because let me tell you, so many of these areas are connected. Ultimately, everything in life is connected. People like to to distinguish. Hey, religion and science. Religion is one thing. Science is totally different. No, let me tell you. If religion is a path towards truth and science is a path towards truth, they might be paths coming from different directions, but ultimately they will lead to truth. And ultimately, religion and science will combine. That's my belief. Will I say that I think that then one organized religion as exists now is going to be proved to be correct? No, I believe that's uh, that almost certainly will not be the case. That's a subject for another podcast. I am on the path to truth. Don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that I have truth. Anybody comes to you and says, yes, I have the truth. Hey, if it's not on the level of two plus two equals four, then you should question that person because they're probably excessively vain and, and on a wrong path. The most we can hope to aspire to is getting somewhat closer to the truth. To get closer to the truth, follow the path of Socrates. Question, 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 and begin by questioning yourself and your own beliefs. If you do that, you will be on a surer path towards the truth. If, on the other hand, you believe that what you believe, oh, that is the truth, uh, you're in for some rude surprises, most likely, and you're most likely not on the correct path. Question, question, question. And no, I'm not saying you should doubt every single thing. When you get to a conclusion that seems like, hey, this is a reasonable conclusion for now, always add that for now, but continue to question. That's a subject for another podcast. For now, I hope I've convinced you that you should not just laugh at people who come up with conspiracy theories, and you should also not laugh at those that say that whatever you, whatever theory you might espouse uh, is, is ridiculous, question them. If they say it's ridiculous, ask them why it's ridiculous. Ask for evidence from their side. Have a good, healthy, and open-minded and friendly debate. It might get heated sometimes. But if you remember to put your own ego aside, your own vanity aside, your own, your own rage and anger aside, all these lower traits, put all those things aside and just treat it on, an, on, on, a, on a mental reasoning level. Let the light of reason shine forth with both of you. Hold your conversation partner accountable. Do that little test. If you suspect they're not listening to you, say, hey, what was the point I made just before? If they don't know, remind them that it's polite to actually listen. And you do them that courtesy as well. You listen to what they're saying. Remember what their point is. Incorporate it. If it's a valid point, accept it. Say, hey, look, that's a valid point. Maybe I'm wrong about this or that detail. Or maybe my whole theory is wrong. 
you know, develop, if you have some kind of a theory, present it. If somebody has really strong evidence that your theory is wrong, hey, laugh it off and say, hey, man, you know, your, your reasoning is better than mine. I guess my theory doesn't hold water. Or at least say, hey, I thought 90% for sure my theory was correct. But after you point that out, my friend skeptic, maybe my theory, maybe now I'm only 10% convinced of my own theory. I'm going to do some more thought and we'll take up this conversation on another occasion. This is open-mindedness. This is respect for the other. This is the courtesy one should show whenever you deal with people. And this is the path toward getting towards the truth by listening sincerely to other opinions. I hope you have enjoyed this talk on conspiracy theories, and I, I hope I've changed your view towards how we should view either those with conspiracy theories or those that are always against them. Keep your mind open and let the light of reason shine and question, 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 beginning with your own beliefs. I wish you a fine day and hope we meet again soon. Bye now.